This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, welcome to Journey to Unity number five. So tonight's Pasuk is the Pasuk of Haisa Kaniya Seicher Mimerchak Tavilachma. What does that mean? Haisa, this Aisha's Chayel, this wonderful woman, woman of valor. She's Haisa Kaniya Seicher. She's like a trading ship, like a merchant trading ship. Right? Haisa Kaniya Seicher. Mimerchak, from a distance, Tavilachma. She brings bread from a distance. So trading ships traditionally would travel all around the world, go from one location to another location, and they would bring stuff, right? That's the idea. So this woman of valor, she's a ship that travels around the world and brings its bread. So what does that mean? So in order to explain this pasuk, let's call it the positive side of things, I want to explain to you a concept or really a Gemara that talks about somebody who was not necessarily an Aishas Chayel. So this is a story that's found in Gemara Bab Metzia. It's a, it's a long story. I'll try to keep it as short as possible. There's a certain point that I want to drive at, which is the like the climax of the story. So the story goes is that after Rav Shimon Bar Yechai died, his son, who became the next Gadol Adar, was Rabbi Lazar Bar Shimon. And if you know your history a little bit, Rabbi Lazar Bar Shimon and Rav Shimon Bar Yechai both lived in the cave together, and they both came out of the cave on this insanely high spiritual level. Right? The Gemara talks about how they would look around at all the fields and people were working and the fields just burst into flames. So the two of them were on this really, really high madrega that they really couldn't interact with the rest of society. And they went back into the cave and they came out and they were able to interact with everybody. But the two of them were far and above everybody else in their generation. The Gemara says that after Rav Shem died, so Rav Lazar Rav Shimon, his son, who's actually also buried in Meiron, right next to the cover of the Rajvi of Rav Shem that's Rav Lazar Rav Shimon. So he became like the de facto Gadaladar. And the Gemara even talks about how when he was a child, Rav Lazar Rav Shimon, he was very, very big and very, very strong. So just keep that in the back of your mind. The Gemara talks about this in many places. He was very, very big. He was very, very strong. The Gemara talks about how he used to eat a tremendous amount of food, how he used to grab animals um, and just put two animals on his shoulders, and he would run up and down the ladder, like just like as if it was nothing. So this is Rebbe Lazar of Shimon. And the Gemara says that he was the Gadol Adar, and one day he meets a man whose job it is to protect society. He's like the sheriff in town. And the sheriff was telling him that there's robberies, there's break-ins, people are stealing you know, um, catalytic, what are they called? Those catalytic uh, converters from cars, right? And he, he doesn't know what to do. He can't find the people who are doing it. He, he just, he's stuck. And he asks him, like, listen, you're a smart man. You know, what could you do about this? And Rebbe Lezer Shimon, who's very smart, very wise, he gives this man advice. And he says to him, well, it's very simple. It's a simple formula to figure out who's the, who's the thieves are. And he tells him you should go into a bar in the morning around this and this time. And you look for people who look like they're tired. And basically, if the person is a tamachacham, so then he was up all night, you know, working, uh, learning. If the guy wasn't, then maybe he was learning. He goes to like a whole chajman. He says, but the guy who looks not like this guy, not like this guy, not like this guy, he's the thief. Just walk in and grab the guy and you know that you got the right person. And the guy's like looking at him sideways. He's like, I don't think I really fully understood the formula for catching criminals. And he's like, no, it's very simple. Look, I'll show you. And he walks into a bar and he sees people sitting around and he goes, no, 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 no. Yeah, this guy, this guy, and this guy, these are the criminals. And slowly but surely, the sheriff in town was arresting people, but he, on his own, he couldn't figure out how to stay by this formula. So he turned to Belezer Rib Shimon and he says, listen, I want to deputize you. I want to make you into the town sheriff. 
will you accept this position? And he was like, well, I'm saving society. I'm helping people. I'll take the position. So he takes this position and he became the sort of like undercover officer. And he's walking in every day to the different stores and shops and whatever it is. And he's just pointing out people. He goes, grab this guy, grab this guy, grab this guy. And slowly but surely, all the criminals in town were being rounded up. Now, this idea didn't go over very well with many people. Partially because he was the Gadol Adar, and you would probably not imagine, you know, like Rechaim Kanievsky, you know, walking into like a Judaica store and being like, grab this guy, this guy, and this guy, and all of a sudden, like undercover cops jumping out of, you know, the woodwork to grab people. So some of the Gedolim, the other Gedolim, started pushing back against this. And they told her, Blessed Brother Shimon, this is not a way to behave. And there were some of them that even went so far to give him a nickname. And the nickname that they gave him was Chaimetz ben Yayin. Chaimetz means vinegar. So they said, your father was Roshim Bayechai. He was wine. And you are Chaimetz, you're spoiled wine. Like, you're vinegar. That was what they started calling him. And there was this like sort of rift between Reb Lezer and many other G'daylam. Anyways, one day, there's a guy, a simple guy. He's like a cleaner. He runs a cleaning business. And he sees Rebbe Lezer Shimon. And he turns to him and he goes, Ah, Chaimetz Ben Yayin. It's vinegar. Mr. Vinegar is here. That's what he says to the Gadol Adar. Like, yeah, it's Mr. Vinegar is here. So he turns to him and he says, Chutzpah, talk to me like I'm your friend calling me vinegar? So he turns to the other people, the deputies, and he says to them, This guy is for sure a criminal. A guy who talks to Gadol Adar like that, sure, a criminal. And they grabbed this guy, threw him into prison. And the way it worked was these people would be executed. So all of a sudden, this guy who made fun of Rebelezer Reb Shimon was slated to be executed. And Rebelezer Reb Shimon started like thinking, like, one second, maybe I acted a little bit too fast, too hasty. Maybe it was my own covet that I, you know, didn't, like, I felt a little bit like my covet was tainted. They started doing a cheshben anafash. And the story goes was that as this man is being led out to the gallows, Rebbe Lezer Rebbe Shimon was sitting there and he was like feeling bad. Like maybe I made a mistake. And they leading this man up to be killed. And somebody turns to Rebbe Lezer Rebbe Shimon and he leans into him and he says, by the way, you know, you're the one who putting this guy away. Yeah, he says, this guy is the worst of the worst. I just want you to know you didn't make a mistake. This guy is like literally the worst of the worst. And Rebbe Lezer Shimon was satisfied, like, okay, Baruch Hashem, like I didn't kill an innocent man. But then he started feeling a little bit regretful just in general. He wasn't, he wasn't, he wasn't Miyoshev, like he wasn't satisfied by him, what he had done. So he decided that he was going to accept upon himself that he was going to be in tremendous amount of pain. And he figured Yesurim will be Misakin for him. So again, go back to the beginning of the story. Rebbe Shimon is a very, very large man and he eats a lot of food. So the story goes was that every night he would basically he would sit there and he would say, you know, Yesurim, come on to me. And the Gemara talks about in like graphic detail how he would have pimples and blisters and blood. And we're not going to go through all the details. But suffice it to say was that it, it was like a mess. And his wife had to like clean up the whole house. And his wife had to prepare a tremendous amount of food for him. And then when he wanted to learn, he would daven and he would say, okay, Yesurim, go away. Let me daven now. Let me learn. He would learn. And then he would say, okay, Yusurim, come on back. And this was this thing that was going on for a while between him getting Yusurim, suffering tremendously, and then pushing them away. One day, his wife, she hears him saying, Yusurim, time for you to leave. 
And all of a sudden, he's totally fine. So whereas five minutes ago, he's in pain and he's screaming and he's yelling and he can't function. All of a sudden, now he's fine. And the guy's like, hold on one second. <laughs> like, you brought this on yourself. Like, I'm mopping the floor from like a mess. Like, you're crying in pain. Like, you're sick in bed. Like, this is all, you did this yourself? I can't believe you did this yourself. Now, apparently, his wife came from a very wealthy home. So his wife turns to him and says, my father's money is being spent every day on tons of food so that you can eat and have kaychas to learn. And I'm sitting here mopping the floor and doing all this stuff for you so that, you know, you'll be fine. And meanwhile, you brought it on yourself? I can't believe it. And his wife separates from him. She says, I'm going back to my father's house. And she gets up, packs her stuff up, packs a little suitcase, and she leaves. And she says, Hatzacha, let's see who's going to feed you breakfast in the morning. You know, the guy who needs to eat, the man who needs to eat, you know, all this food. Let's see who's going to serve you breakfast in the morning. Okay, she leaves. Meanwhile, out at sea, there's a merchant ship. And this merchant ship is loaded up with food and animals and just a ton of stuff. And that night that his wife was separated from him, a massive storm happened at sea. And this merchant ship was in danger of being capsized. And they started davening and davening and nothing was working. And finally, one of the people jumped up and said, in the schus of the Hele Gitana, Rebbe of Shemin, we should be saved. And right away, everything calmed down. The ship was fine, pulled into port, and everyone was fine. So early, early in the morning, these merchants get off their ship and they say, wow, this was in the schus of the Gadol Adar. Let's go say thank you. So they loaded up a whole wagon load of food. And they drive up to Reb Lezer of Shimon's house. They knock on the door. And he says, yeah, who is it? And they say, we have a delivery. Gormegla opens the door. The whole house, they fill up with food. Tons of food just lining up shelves and shelves and shelves, bringing out like anything you could imagine. They're bringing it to him. Meanwhile, his wife, who's separated from him, she turns to his daughter in the morning. And she's like, you know, I know what Abba usually eats for breakfast. <laughs> He's going to be hungry. Why don't you go check on him? See how he's doing, like, in his suffering, you know, like, not having his food, like me sitting there making, you know, breakfast. Go check on him. Go see how he's doing. So his daughter comes to the house, and she opens the door, and she's like, what is going on here? The entire house is filled up with food. Like, we never had so much food in the house. And he's sitting at the table. He's eating breakfast. He's doing fine. And she turns to him, and she says, uh, what's all this? And this is the words that he says to her. He says, go back to your mother and tell her, that I am she was supposed to be she was supposed to be the one who's the merchant who's bringing the bread from a distance and instead the in the of me learning Hashem sent a merchant ship right literally from a distance they brought my food so you could tell your mother, essentially, that she's been replaced. Like, she thought she was such a great wife. Good job. You think I need you? I don't need you. You want to stay by your father's house? Stay by your father's house. And that's the message that he sends to his wife. His wife got the message, and she came running back home, and they lived happily ever after. What is the point of this story? Is that the concept, what does it mean, it means that when a person gets married, they understand that one of their primary goals is to fulfill the needs of their spouse. Whenever I teach a chassan, my wife teaches a kala, there's like a series of 
questions that we ask them. One of the questions is, what needs does your spouse have that you understand you need to fulfill? Now, most people, they say anything. I mean, I'll do anything. I'm getting married. I'll do anything for the person. But reality is that anything means nothing. Anything means nothing. When a person is willing to do something for somebody else, they have, I would say, they have short attainable goals, specific items that they understand. My spouse needs this on a daily basis. And if a person on a daily basis does those things for their spouse, then their spouse's needs will be filled. They'll feel fulfilled. And a marriage where two people are looking out for each other's needs, those needs being met means that the marriage generally will be good. That's almost always the formula. You want to know how to fix your marriage? You want to know how to save your marriage? You want to know how to improve your marriage? It's a very simple formula. Ask yourself, what does my spouse need from me? Make sure that on a daily basis, you're actually giving them those things. And then you go from there. And I'll, I'll give you a few concepts that I think are just important to internalize. We always say that a couple works on emotional batteries. So I think one of our first classes here, somebody asked in the Q&A, like, what is it that my spouse needs from me? They need, do they need bread? Do they need food? The answer is yes, they do, right? But that's, let's talk, not talk about that for a minute, right? People generally have emotional needs that need to be met by their spouse. So if you think about attention, affection, appreciation, which are specific attention, affection, appreciation, what that means is, is that a person pays specific attention to their spouse, what they're saying, what, they're go, what they have going on in their life. They pay attention, they internalize it, and they feed that back to the person. Oh, you have a doctor's appointment today. Oh, you have this going on today. Um, how is the call with your mother? What are, when you pay specific attention to something that the person does or says or has going on in their life, you give them affection. You express something to them specifically about them. You don't just go like, oh, you're amazing. But like specifically targeting that person. Like you are amazing because X, Y, and Z. Or I noticed this need about you and it is incredible. Where you specifically focus on something. Or appreciation, you appreciate who the person is or what the person has done for you. So attention, affection, appreciation on a specific level. That is, let's call it number one. Number two is that you make sure that your spouse has SIPA in their life, that they have something real in their life that is giving them a sense of fulfillment and you support that thing, okay? You make sure that their physical needs are also going to be met and the person feels cared for and understood. Okay, so we could talk a lot more about other things, but the general idea is that if you take what we just said and on a daily basis, you made sure that you put those quarters in the meter, then I, I can almost guarantee you that your relationship will be, will be working. Now, here's the interesting part is that if I said to you, how do you think the end of Rebbe Lezer, Rebbe Shimon and his wife, like, how do you think that marriage ended? Like, think about a couple that was fighting, right? They got separated. It's like, what happened here? What happened here? The, hey, I'll tell you the end of the Gemara. It's like very mind-boggling. The Gemara says that Rebbe of Shimon ultimately died. And when he died, his wife, who got the message, she understood, my role is to be fulfilling what my husband needs. Right? I'll t- tell you a quick story. Rebetzin Eliyashev. Don't take this so literally, okay? Just like hear the story for a second, okay? Rebetzin Eliyashev was known to be a, an incredible woman, a, a woman who was so dedicated to Rebbe Yashiv, that like it was literally her entire being was Revelyashev. Her daughter, Rebetzin Bacheva Kanievsky, same way. Their entire being was for their husbands. They, there were so many stories. I forget if it was Rebetzin Eliyashev or Rebetzin Bacheva Kanievsky, but one of them, they once got hurt 
and they like went out onto the porch where they were in pain. So because their husband was learning in the other room, they, they didn't want to like disturb his learning. So they were just like sitting outside on the porch, like, ow, ow, ow. They like hurt themselves. They just didn't want to disturb for a minute. They understood that their entire tafkid was supporting their, their husband, who obviously they were the, they were the G'dayli Adar. And the story goes that Rebbe Tineliashim, when she got sick with her final illness, the family, everyone was davening, and, and she turned to them and she said, I just want you to know that I'm, I'm probably not going to make it out of this alive. And they were like, don't, like, why are you talking like that? And she said, no, it's a simple cheshben. The cheshben is, is that my entire tafkin in this world was to support my spouse, support Rav Liyashev, to make Rav Liyashev, Rav Liyashev. That was my entire tafkin. And now, even if I were to survive this illness, I wouldn't be able to support him. I just, I, I feel I wouldn't be able to get my cheshben all the way back. So therefore, my tafkin is finished. Like, I did my tafkin, and that's it. Like, it's over. What are we saying? That a person... Part of a person's top kid is like you, you, the union. The union of marriage is that people are so laser focused on their spouse and what they need, and they give it to them without expecting anything in return on a daily basis. You just make sure that your spouse, that their their battery, their batteries, their emotional needs, their physical needs are being met no matter what. And that was the message that Rebbe Lezer Rebbe Shimon's wife received from him. She understood. This is your job. This is your tafkid. Your job is to support me. I'm the Gadol Adar. Hashem will send me my sustenance. It's a schus for you to be married to me. Do you not understand that? And she came running home and she did understand it because the end of the Gemara says a fascinating postscript, which is that at the end of his life, he died. And she was the Rebetzin of the generation. So there were very few people who were able to be married to such a woman. Like, a shoemaker is not marrying the Gadol Adar. And there was a man who came over to her and proposed that he get, gets married to her. That man was Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi. Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, the one who wrote the Mishnah. He goes over to her and he says, Hi, Shalom Aleichem, Rebetzin. You know, I'm also available. Would, you know, are you looking to remarry? And she turns to him and she says, Marry you? That would be like downgrading. I was married to, to Rabbi Lezabir of Shimon. You think I could marry you? No, I'm sorry, I can't marry you. I would be downgrading too much. I'm not able to. This is Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, like literally the architect of the Mishnah. So I'm sorry, I can't. And Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi is like, really? This is what Gemara says. He says, really? Maybe, maybe you want to tell me that your husband, Rabbi Lezer Shimon, was greater than me in learning. That is, everybody knows that. Fine. But do you understand the suffering that I went through in my life? I had so many Yisurim. So she turned to him. She said, listen, I'm a woman. I don't know much about learning. So learning, you're telling me that he knew more than you in learning? Fine. So then he for sure was upgraded from you, right? But Yisurim, I watched my husband, the Yisurim that he had. He for sure had more Yisurim than you. So my husband was like for sure bigger than you in terms of like his ruchnias when it comes to learning. For sure bigger than you when it comes to, 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 to Yisurim and his connection, you know, in that sense. No, I'm sorry, I can't marry you. And she, she turns him down. She says, I can't marry you. She had so much respect for her husband. She got the message. That like part of a, we always say like journey of unity, you're, you're part of, of a bigger picture here. And that bigger picture is that she didn't understand his learning. She didn't even understand necessarily what he was doing in this, but she supported him. She supported his tafkid. means that you support each other's tafkid. You understand the other person and you are on a very long journey together and you make sure that you are a complete support for that other person. And that is the first 
idea. You know, this week I was actually at my my children's yeshiva. They made a dinner, and Rabbi Yanko Bender came and he spoke, and he said a very quick thing which really stuck out. He said that it says that the Avni Maluim, these incredibly precious gems which were put into the chayshim, they were called Avni Miluim, which means stones that fill. He's like, these these weren't just stones. These were literally they came down from Shemayim. These were like incredibly priceless gems. And yet they're called stones that fill. Stones that fill sounds like that's not what you'd call them. You'd call them like the hush of the stones, the you know, you give like a very fancy name. Stones that fill. That's what the Torah refers to them as. And he said over in the name of Shmuel Birnbaum that this is the greatest shavach to a person. Because a person on their own can be amazing. They could be priceless. They could be unbelievable. But you want to know like the greatest praise to a person is that you fill, when there's a need, you fill the need. The Avne Miluim were specifically called Avne Miluim because these stones filled the need of something. There was a, there was a hole and it filled the need. That, that's more precious than being precious. And that's the concept here. In your own world, in your own bubble, in your own life, very, very nice. If, you're, if your spouse is thriving because of you, if your children have what they need because of you, there's nothing, there's nothing greater than that. There's nothing greater than that. A person who's actually giving and who's getting their sipuk from the fact that all the people around them are actually thriving. That's concept number one. The concept number two is a little bit different than this, is that if you think about it, a merchant ship, what's unique about a merchant ship is that it takes items that it have in location A and it brings it to location B. What does that mean? It means in location A, it has whatever it is, let's say straw. In location B, they have diamonds. You can't eat diamonds. So it takes straw, it goes to location B, it sells them straw, right? They now have straw. It takes diamonds and brings it back to its location. So it takes something that it has and it trades up into create more value for bringing it back to the location that it, that it, that it is. Make sense? Yeah? So Heisengineh means that a merchant ship, by definition, is a ship that takes something of value, goes to another location, adds value to that location, but then it brings back even more value to its present location. Make sense? Okay. So what does that mean? It means if you think about it, is that the Aisha's Chayel understands that she has value and that she has talents and that she has her own sipa and that she has her own life and that she has her own friends and that she has her own job and that her entire day doesn't circulate around which iced coffee to drink. That's what Haisa Kenyasaychem means. It means that you understand that your entire being is not simply about just supporting somebody else and just doing for somebody else. It means that you yourself have value and that throughout your entire day, you are having a recognition or a realization of the value that you have. You're seeing it. You're feeling it. You actually have your own seatbook and your own drive. If a person looks at their own schedule and realizes that they are completely empty on their own, then what, what will happen by default is that your spouse will almost always be unable to fulfill the value that you don't see in yourself. If you don't have a fulfilling day, schedule, life, year, 
your spouse is going to be fighting an uphill battle, trying to give you something that you will crave from them. You'll try and try and try to say, you're not, you're not making me feel good. You're not there for me. You're not supportive enough. You're not giving me enough. But at the same time, the reason is because you're completely on zero. If you're on zero, it's not going to work. means that you're not on zero. It means that you have enough emotional energy and things going on. And now your spouse and you are now adding to what the person already has on their own. And that's a really important distinction. A lot of people go into marriage expecting their spouse to 100% fulfill all of their emotional needs. Everything they're missing in their life, it's all on your spouse. It's like a burden that they have to fill. It's impossible. It's almost impossible. Spouse is not going to become like your therapist and just all the money that you need and all the everything. It's almost impossible. It's much more important for a person to have their own emotional fill and then their spouse to go on top of that. I once had a meeting with a person. This person was worth over $500 million. And when I was talking to them, middle of the conversation, they started crying. And they were asking me if I knew a connection to a certain store that they wanted to work in. And I was like, one second, this store that you're asking to work in, they pay about $16 an hour. Like literally like pennies. Okay. And I said to them, I'm not sure if you realize, but you're literally worth over a half a billion dollars. Why in the world would you want to work in a store for $16 an hour? Literally makes no sense. The person said, because I get up in the morning and I have absolutely no reason to get out of bed. I walk around all day. I have, I have no deadlines. I have no drive. I have no, I have nothing. I have no seatbelt. I'm, I'm just sitting here completely empty. Everyone around me is like avoids me like the plague. Because the minute I get on the phone with them, they know I'm chewing their ear off for two hours. I have nowhere to go. I have nothing to do. I'm just going to sit there like, oh, you know, let me tell you. They're like, okay, stop. I can't handle it. So she's like, I have no friends. I have no family. I, I don't have anything. I need to get my life to 20%. If I'm at 20%, I'm filled enough. Now I could get everything else from everybody else. If I'm at 0%, it's just the bottomless pit. Person has to realize that they have value. You go out of your way to make sure that you are realizing that value, that you're feeling that value. And you come home, you come back into port, you're actually filled. You're actually making sure that you're, that you're filled. So that is the second concept. And the third concept is based on a medrash. And the medrash says, quotes actually, and Rabbi Akiva, his Rebbe. And essentially what they say is, don't be happy. Never be happy. What does that mean? It means that if you, I'll give it to you in sort, in sort of like in a mushal. You know, the mushal is, is that there's a, a man, and my father always used to say this mushal. There's a man who goes to, let's call it Velazhin, he goes to like the big yeshiva. And he's from this little tiny village and he has a lot of money and he wants to have the best son-in-law. So he goes into the yeshiva and they point him and they say, this guy is the greatest son-in-law. And he walks in, he sits down, great, gives him a fahar. This guy is like a world-class tamachacham. It brings him back to his village. And like two weeks after Sheva Brachas, he sees that his son-in-law is standing by the river and he's like skipping rocks. And he's like, what are you doing? And he's like, oh, I'm skipping rocks. And day by day, he sees this guy, he's like skipping rocks, he's fishing, he's flying a kite. And he's like, what are you doing? And he says, yeah, I'm just, you know, doing my thing. He's like, doing your thing? I thought you were the top guy. He says, yeah. 
Like in Valajan, to be the top guy, I had to learn for 20 hours a day. Here in this village, nobody knows anything. I could walk around and skip rocks and ever. I'll be the biggest Tamachachim here for, you know, for the rest of my life. I don't have to work very hard. So if I was like, nah, I didn't bring you here to be the top guy in this village. I brought you here to be the top guy in Valajan. I brought you here that when you go back there, you'll be the top guy. So Rosh Hashem and Rabbi Akiva essentially say that when Haisa Kaniya Seicher means that sometimes in our lives, where we are, we've maxed out. And we say, I'm good, great, got everything, good. No, that's not enough. Haisa Kaniya Seicher means that a merchant ship, it realizes that whatever it has going on here, yeah, we have food, we have water, we have shelter, whatever, it's great, it's not enough. In that land, they have certain type of wool. In that land, they have certain type of stone. You go from place to place to seek the best of every single place. And because you do that, you maximize the benefit for whatever you have going on back at home. You're not happy with what you currently have because you're always munching and searching and trying to get more from another place. You're like a merchant ship that's not happy. It's not enough what we have here. I'm going to go out. I'm going to go. I'm going to go to the. If somebody on the other end of the world has a marriage tip for me, I'm going there to get it. That's the idea. I'm not going to be happy with what I have. I'm good. Yeah, we're good. You're good. You're not good. Don't be happy with what you have. A few years ago, I put out a whole series on whatever website, and there was a couple that was watching the series. Now, it's funny because I, I believe my own personal thing. Maybe you'll you'll agree or disagree with me that the concept of like marriage education and 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 all these seminars and stuff that we have today didn't always exist. It didn't always exist, right? It wasn't wasn't like a thing. If somebody was like going to talk to somebody about like shalom bias, it usually meant that there was an issue, right? Something was wrong. Okay, so so right today it's like yeah, everybody's talking about it, you know, everyone, which is great, very good, as long as it's good. <laughs> but <laughs> assuming that it's good, right? Um, it, it's a good thing. It, it adds value to people's lives. But the story goes is that this couple, true story, a couple, they were watching a whole series that I had and the grandparents came into the house and they see this couple sitting there watching a thing. So the grandfather turns and he goes, you know, what's this? And the, the grandchildren were sitting there. They go, oh, it's a shirim on marriage. He goes, oh, you guys are suffering? <laughs> they go, no, we're not suffering. We're good. We just got married. We're just, you know, learning things. So he says, ah, in my days, we didn't need this stuff. And he starts walking to the kitchen. And he's his wife, the grandmother, who's like, I don't know, 85 years old, right? She says, one second, one second. She grabs his arm and she pulls him over to the couch. And she says, let's watch a little bit. And they sit there and they're watching. And they watch through like a whole class. And at the end of the class, the grandfather goes, ah, we didn't need this in our days. And he turns to walk away. And he turns and he looks at his wife. And his wife was crying. And she's like, they said, Bubby, why are you crying? And she said, if we would have known this 50 years ago, things would have been a lot different. It would have been a lot happier. And then they went into the kitchen. But they probably had a very long talk. Okay? <laughs> the idea of Haisa Kenya Seifer is that a person's not happy. They're not happy with where they are. They're not happy being stagnant. They're always looking to grow. They're always willing to grow. They're willing to take steps, even if it means traveling to the other end of the world, to seek help, to get help to speak to somebody, to be able to improve improve anything in, in, their, in their life. 
I think that a lot of people before they get married think everything is intuitive. Like, oh, yeah, we'll just figure this all out. Just like kids. Like, yeah, yeah, we'll just figure this all out. Like saying like somebody raised me, right? And parents got married for generations. Everybody did it. So somehow it has to all be intuitive, but it's, it's not intuitive. And if you're married more than five minutes, really, it's not intuitive. There's a lot of simple ideas which are free. You don't have to pay for these ideas. They're, they're, they're free. You have to just be able to like internalize it and actually take the steps that are necessary to bring things to the next level. So that is, that is the concept. Number one is you make sure that you're in tune to your spouse's needs and that you're giving them what they need, want, or desire without expecting anything in return. And if two people are actually doing that, your marriage will flourish. Absolutely, it will flourish. But number two is if you start on zero for yourself, if you yourself are on empty, then your spouse is going to have an uphill battle. It's impossible. How are they supposed to be there for you if you're not even there for yourself? And then number three is that you have a conversation with your spouse and you keep saying to each other, how can we upgrade? How can we upgrade? What's the next step? What's the next step? How do we keep making sure that we're moving the bar higher and higher and higher so that your relationship keeps on growing? And if a person has these three things in place, so then their marriage will really flourish. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.